Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments on how to make the podcast better, so feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. That's where you can reach out to me to discuss coming on as a guest as well. If you enjoy the podcast, please make sure to subscribe, drop a rating, and share with friends. I'd like to welcome on a very special guest, Brian DeAngelis. Brian has had multiple roles within Ripken Baseball, the State College Spikes, and now has settled in as Vice President Sales with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, AAA affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. Can't wait to catch up with Brian DeAngelis right after this break. All right, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast, Brian. Are you working from home right now? I am. I'm shut in. We've been home for probably about three, maybe coming about four weeks now. Oh, wow. Goodness. How are you getting any work done? You have two little ones and one on the way, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. So uh, a four-year-old, two-year-old, one on the way um, to the beginning of June here, so... Um, it's been okay for me. I do have a home office, uh, so I can shut the door and uh, get some work done. My wife's phenomenal. She's uh, only works two days a week uh, at nights, so she's okay. heading in tonight and tomorrow. So throughout the day, she's home and takes care of the kids. And for the most part, I'm uninterrupted, but every once in a while, you can't stop them all. So <laughs> right, one person through at any moment and, and do whatever they're doing. But yeah, it's been it's been okay for me so far. All right, fantastic. Is is your wife a nurse? She is, yeah. Okay, yeah, my fiance is a nurse as well. So she she works 3 days, nights. She switches it up a lot. So so I totally get that. 12-hour shifts, I'm assuming. Yep, 12 yeah. hours and then normally she'll uh, we'll already be awake when she gets home and then she'll go up and go to bed and sleep till about 2 o'clock and stay up with the kids for a couple hours and head right back out the door. Yep, yep, yeah. It's, uh, man, she's, shout out to, um, nurses and doctors and all the people on the front line right now with, uh, this pandemic going on. <laughs> Can you describe your off-season and in-season duties of your job with the Iron Pigs? Yeah, it's funny, that's a question we get asked all the time, mm-hmm. and, um, internally, we actually reverse those roles, uh, okay. the roles. So, we actually call our, our season is really like September through April. Okay. And in sales, that's when we get most of our job done. Right. Uh, and we call it the off-season when we actually have games because um, obviously that's just more servicing and mm-hmm. um, putting on the actual games and events, things like that. So uh, um, kind of an inside joke, I guess, for us, but I'll, I'll answer it as it pertains to <laughs> anybody else outside uh, sales maybe. But um, So, you know, in-season, which we're hoping is kicked off here at some point, um, obviously nobody has any clue when that's going on, but, um, for the most part, you know, uh, my job is just to oversee, um, 
you know, we have uh, ticket operations, so on a game day, that's incredibly important where we're fulfilling uh, ticket sales at the ticket office, uh, making sure that all the tickets that have already been sold through the year work, whether that's being scanned in, having ballpark credit, um, exchanges, um, you know, format. So if they had printed tickets, but they want it digital or vice versa, mm-hmm. working through all that good stuff. And then uh, obviously once they're in the stadium, um, you know, overseeing uh, our guest experience department as well, which um, just ensures that our ushers and uh, parking attendants and uh, scanners, um, food and beverage, everyone's just providing the best experience possible for our fans as they enter the ballpark and interact with all the Iron Pigs employees. And uh, then obviously our sales team, which is there to service. Um, so if you look at the sponsorship side, um, so they have maybe a, a presenting sponsor that game day, just making sure they have everything they need, they're set up, uh, they're executing the things that they were promised, trying to go above and beyond for them. Um, on the ticket side, obviously, whether they're coming out here in hospitality, maybe they're in a suite, um, you know, making sure their food gets there on time, everybody's happy, having a good time, no issues. And our season ticket guys, obviously, going down, doing as many visits as they can in, in one game. We like to um, have an in-person touch point mm-hmm. at least twice per game for every guest. Um, other than season tickets, that's once per game uh, as often as we can. So that's really their their primary roles in season, and then. We spend the time that we're in the office, not during the game, just making sure we follow up with um, everyone that maybe we did see them at the past couple homestands. Um, so if it's somebody we haven't seen in the last 50% of games at homestand, usually we're going to place a call and just say, hey, I haven't seen you out here. just want to make sure you were, um, you know, everything was okay or anything I can do for you. If you're sending people out, whatever, um, that's going to not only provide a personal touch, but it's going to give us um, a good indication of that person is going to renew the following year when right. the discussion comes. So uh, tons of stuff, tons of stuff in season, obviously, that's a little more unique. And then um, the off season is, is a little easier to explain. I mean, we're, we're in sales, uh, so mm-hmm. that's what we do. So yep. that's groups, seasons, individuals, sponsorships. Um, you know, we do a lot of face-to-face meetings, uh, sure. go out there and try to uh, learn what the client needs, what they're trying to accomplish, and then basically uh, putting something together that's going to help them in their business or their company or group organization achieve the goals that they're trying to achieve. So um, that's pretty much what we do from September uh, all the way to April. And in reality, we start that much earlier. Uh, in a normal year, we'll start renewing season tickets in June, uh, late June, early July. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, the cycle really never stops in the sales for us. Yeah, I, absolutely. That's um Great explanation there. And this question wasn't on the outline that I gave you, but so what are you doing to make good with your clients um, during this time? Because clearly, you know, you're selling season tickets, um, sponsorship packages and stuff like that. And all of that has been delayed, pushed back. Um, So are you doing anything right now to make good with those clients? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we've been around for 12 seasons, and we mm-hmm. plan to be here for many, many more. And uh, so we want to make sure that, that what we do is, is fair and right by, you know, all of our fans, supporters, sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're never going to ask anybody to pay for, you know, any game that they didn't uh, get to attend or um, we actually play at home. Right. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of uncertainty right now uh, with how many games, when they'll be, those type of things. So, you know, from a season ticket standpoint, it's difficult to... Um, understand and explain what uh, the options are because, you know, for all we know, we might have 70 games, we might have 20, mm-hmm. uh, we might have zero, and until we know that answer, there's not much uh, we can do other than assure them that, you know, if you paid for 70 games, 
and uh, we only play 20, you're only going to pay for 20 games, and we'll explain the right. options that you would have at that point. Um, you know, same with our sponsors, and a lot of these partners have signed on with us for an extended period of time, so uh, we just want to make sure that whatever we're doing is the right thing to do for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even with our groups, um, obviously some of the games would have already been played at this point. Right. So we've already tried to reschedule some of those, the games that are later in the year. So sure. there's an April group, give them an option in July or August. And, um, you know, that's been effective for some. Some couldn't make it work for various reasons. Maybe they had people coming from out of town or whatever. So uh, no problem. We'll, we'll be flexible and, and let them do the same outing next year once we get a schedule for the following year. Um, so that, that's pretty much been what we've been doing. And uh, fortunately, the way we operate, we try to stay in as close contact with all of our, our guests as possible. So mm-hmm. that's down to um, all of our phones, obviously being forwarded to cell phones. All of our clients should already have all of our cell phone numbers uh, in advance anyway. Right. Um, so if they just have a quick question, just text us, email us, call us, like anything you want. Um, and having that close relationship has enabled us to really um, you know, give them the max amount of options. And um, we put a little bit of, trust equity, I guess, with, with our fans so that they understand that, okay, well, you know, I trust the Iron Peaks enough that if we only play 35 games, they'll do what's right and, and figure out what's best for me at that time. Obviously, there's going to be some people faced with some challenges that they probably can't even predict right now, whether mm-hmm. it's a business or um, even just an organization. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of little leagues, obviously, that haven't even yep. uh, formatted at this point. So those are going to be things we have to address, and, and we're hoping we can create opportunities. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of seniors in high school, and they lost a prom or um, their their senior season sometimes, right? In baseball or whatever. So, um, we're already having conversations about how we can remedy those things because I can't imagine being a high school senior and all of a sudden my season just ends and there's, right. there's nothing that happens. Right, mm-hmm. get my senior day. So, we've been talking about having our own senior day at the ballpark and letting those kids actually get that opportunity that they normally wouldn't have had since they're their season was taken away from them. So All right. Sounds like a good idea. It's best for everyone. Nice, nice. Yeah, that sounds sounds like a good idea. And, um, yeah, I, I really want to get up to a game. I haven't been up. I only live probably about two hours away. And growing up, I was a you know big Phillies fan. So uh, hopefully I can make it up to a game um, when you guys uh, have some games there um, in Lehigh Valley. So... So, yeah, I'd love to have you. you yeah. Know a guy now, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of, speaking of that, you and I went to college together. We both went to Slippery Rock University, um, and we had a couple classes together. I think you were a year ahead of me, maybe, um, but we were in different majors. But needless to say, yeah, we had some classes together. Um, and then I came out of Slippery Rock and went right into minor league baseball, and you did too. Um, how and why did you get into minor league baseball? Yeah, um, you know, I was thinking about that. It's funny because I know definitely the first class we had together was a public speaking class. Mm-hmm. It's interesting now that we're essentially speaking to each other in a public setting. So, um, <laughs> that is true. Uh, Professor Lee Poo would be very proud of us. Yep, yep 100%. Um, so yeah, so I mean, um, as I finished my senior seminar class in the sport management, uh, department, um, you have to be searching for an internship. I was lucky enough that, um, one of my friends that, uh, I was in school with there was a semester ahead of me, mm-hmm. uh, who just happened to get an internship at Rifting Baseball, um, on their Chevy tour side of the business. So we'd go around, 
uh, to different cities and put on these uh, clinics at like a little league field with you know just that league that would be there and kind of an intimate small setting it was sponsored by Chevy and they drive all around the country and do these things for, for a full semester so okay. uh, he recommended me um, to one of the other people that, that worked there not on the on the baseball side uh, necessarily uh, meaning instructional baseball side uh, but was on the sales side a guy his name is Chris Savio and um he oversaw the sales team for uh, camps, clinics, and tournaments for Ripken Baseball. At the time, they had two facilities. One was there in Aberdeen. One was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Oh, okay. The sales team essentially would you know, call these little leagues and travel teams, AU teams all across the country, get them to all come in and sell different weekend tournaments, weekday tournaments, all through the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were, these were high-end expensive tournaments because... Those facilities are amazing. If you haven't been to, to Aberdeen or, or Myrtle Beach, the Ripken Experience, either one, has since opened one in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and now actually a partnership with Disney. Uh, oh, okay. Have a location there too, but um, those those fields and those particular locations are unreal. Um, you know, these kids get to show up, and in a lot of cases, you could play at Cal Senior Field in Aberdeen, and mm-hmm. um, it's a two thirds replica of Camden. It even has the warehouses in the back. It's actually the hotel. Um, you know, from Fenway to Wrigley to uh, Yankee Stadium, like they, they had a, a replica of all these different fields, and wow. in they were all historic fields. So it's a really cool opportunity to to sell those things, and also the clinics, which um, was great. We would sell, um, you know, a venue like um, New York City was uh, one territory, and I think they held that one at Hofstra. Okay, and you basically call coaches at all levels, literally up to college, and. Um, Sell an opportunity to come out to a clinic with Cal, Bill, and then normally they would bring like a MLB pitcher uh, with them and, and put on this clinic. And so we basically sell it, sell off the facility, and then we travel up there, put it on, come back, and the next one will be in DC. And it goes the same thing, sell that one out, and then hop into suburban with those guys and put it on, come back. Um, so I started doing that, and mm-hmm. um, that was fortunately at the same location where the Aberdeen Ironbirds play. So at the time, Cal owned the Ironbirds. Right. So uh, the stone crabs and the green jackets. Um, so at that time, I started um, making calls and switched over to the, the minor league baseball side, and, and that's kind of how I got in from there. Okay, very cool. Uh, so clearly, your roles have all been sales oriented, um, and I dabbled in sales quite a bit as well. What do you think is the key or keys to being successful in sales? Yeah, um, I'm sure there's a million different takes on this. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it, it's it's hard to really classify and, and quantify these things, but um, you know, for me, uh, when I started off, especially, uh, I think two, well, I'll say three things probably I think helped me to advance and, and advance relatively quickly uh, for the industry. I think one was um, just my competitiveness, where you mm-hmm. know, I would sit there and look when I first started bottom of the totem pole and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be the best salesperson tomorrow. Right. But right. here's the tangible things I can do. I can make the most calls. I can set the most appointments uh, out of this whole team. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at the guy in front of me and I'm just going to do more than that person. So if they make a hundred calls, I'll make a hundred one. If they go on 10 appointments, I'm going to go on 11. Right. And right. If I'm doing that, then I'm going to pass that person. And then I got another person in front of me, pass that person, pass that person. Then all of a sudden I'm, I'm the top guy, right? Yeah. And, and that's kind of how it went. So there, that that's a piece of it. I'd say creativity is something that's never mentioned in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? A massive piece. Um, I know that when I started off, same thing. It's like, all right, well, if I'm just going to do the same thing as everyone else here, but 
they've been doing it for four years. They have a head start on me of four years. There's no way I'm catching. Right. So how can I come up with something that's going to progress me at a faster rate than what they're progressing? So maybe it only takes me two years to accomplish what they did in four. And mm-hmm. whatever that means, I have to get creative about doing that because it's not just going to be from hard work. There's so much so, so much time in the day. I have to come up with something new and a different way to do something. Mm-hmm. So that's what I started to do. Um, and then it, the classic, uh, you know, work work smarter and uh, be a student in the game. Probably being a student of the game is maybe more important. Right. Um, I spent so much of my time. I was not a model student. Um, you know, <laughs> whether it was high school, college, anything, I, I really wasn't. Um, as it pertains to like book smarts, I guess. But when I got out of college, I really started like reading things that were of interest to me and applying those things. Um, you know, I remember reading uh, Machiavelli the first time, The Prince, and being like, okay, this is this really applies to what I'm doing. I can use a lot of these tactics in growing my career. And, and now I started to learn a little bit more about how to manage people and being in different situations. And, and so the more I read about the things that I wanted to accomplish, the easier they were for me to accomplish. So... Um, you don't have to invent everything yourself. Just look at people who've already done it. Mm-hmm. Take their ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I will definitely say. Well, I think being being successful in sales, number one, you have to be relatable um, to your client and to you know all walks of people. But um, I wanted to go back to the creativity thing, and um, that's the beauty of minor league baseball is that you can be creative as you want as long as you have uh the managers above you that are willing to back you up when when you do bring that creativity to the table yeah i mean it's that it's also proven the concept though right mm-hmm. I mean, even if they don't believe in it at first i've had plenty of ideas that i've, I've brought I've pitched and whatever and, and the key is when you do that Make sure you follow through. Right. And, uh, you know, if you can prove success on a couple of your ideas, you're going to start getting more and more length on that leash, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what I started doing with a lot of the ideas I had. And, um, you know, a lot of people, like, uh, there's so many times where you look at these teams that are really successful, you know, creatively and promotionally and things, and everyone just sits there and goes, oh, who's their, who's their uh, creative person? Who's their promotions person, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that. If you've been in a front office anywhere, that, that's never helped. Right, it's, it's a team of people, and ideas can come from anywhere. Um, you know, one of our best ideas we had last year that in terms of uh, converting an idea into something that was a promotion and a creative piece and a game day piece, mm-hmm. and then selling it, whether it's sponsorship and merch and everything, uh, it came from a ticket director. You know, okay. the whole John campaign um, that we did our salute to Philly around John. That idea spawned from a ticket director, and then you know grew and. Um, then also the merch came out and the logos came out and um, it blew up into this this huge promotion like we hadn't seen in a while so um, that's really how that happens but you have to foster that environment where ideas are brought up constantly and, and people are almost obsessive about coming up with the next best idea right that's, that's they're consumed by it and if you can get everybody on that same page um, you're gonna see more and more ideas you know take foot uh, last year was a great example we really had three promotions that were as big as any one standalone promotion of anything that the pace has done in the past 12 years. Um, and that's a product that just, just keep pushing out those, those ideas and brainstorm and, and have fun with it. And, um, all of a sudden you could, you could hit a few. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Speaking as somebody that has worked in sales and marketing and minor league baseball, I couldn't agree with you more on that front. Um, so w- 
not to double down or anything like that, but uh, what suggestions would you give people starting out in sales, whether it's minor league baseball or insurance, if you will? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. Um, you know, don't get discouraged early. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody was really like built for sales, and I don't know if too many people that are going through college are like, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to get the sales. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's that many people, right? But it's like, listen, understand what uh, what it is you're doing, right? You're mm-hmm. just trying to go out there and produce revenue in the best way that you can. So um, if you need to get creative or, or do something different, um, don't get bogged down by all the no's. You're going to get 99% of the time you're going to get a no. Um, ignore those things, right? Right. Uh, just keep going until you get that yes. Because once you get that first yes, and then you can chase that for the foreseeable future, right? And then you start getting some bigger yeses and bigger yeses, and it just grows. Yep. Um, that's what salespeople are looking for. So don't don't let that first. I remember my first maybe maybe it was even two years into it, and I'm still like, man, I don't think I'm going to do this. I don't think this is for me. Right. Like, I don't even think I'm good at it. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, to look at that now, it's funny, but I remember those days being like. Man, this, there's no way this is for me. But knowing that everyone feels that way, and that's a common, common feeling. Right. Um, just keep plowing through, and just learn as much as you can while you do it. Because just know that if you get into sales, and let's say you hate it, and it actually isn't for you, um, at least now, if you put that time in and you got into sales, you have that background. So when mm-hmm. you go to marketing and you need to put together an idea or a concept and push it out there, you have the background and understanding. This is how a salesperson is going to need to go and use what I've created to sell mm-hmm. so you have a better understanding of what that means and hopefully then your product becomes more marketable and easier to sell. Right. Um, that background is, is incredibly valuable. I agree. I agree. Do you owe any of your success to your rock solid education, Brian? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, that's where management program. So I, I spent my time split um, I started going to Michigan State originally. Mm-hmm. It's a huge university, class size of like 300. Um, you'd show up and no one knew if you were there or you weren't there, kind of on your own. And Silver Rock was so much different because it was so much more intimate. Like if you're late for a class, a professor would text you, right? Like, where are you? Are you asleep? And right. so that was a major difference. But what was really helpful is, is then they put together a program there that was so um, specific to what you're going to be doing in the industry. Like I remember... There's a lot of classes that obviously I, I don't necessarily use in my day-to-day, but I'm sure a lot of people that graduated there uh, from there you know, do use this. But in, in research or in like sport law, as an example, um, like we went to a courtroom, an actual courtroom, and acted out uh, an actual case. And it was like I, ours was somebody hit a foul ball and went through uh, glass and uh, hit somebody in the head, and they were suing because our netting wasn't high enough or our glass wasn't thick enough or whatever. And I'm like, wow. I haven't had that experience at this time, but like the fact that I did that is amazing. I've been in that setting and of course I wouldn't be the one representing the iron pigs in the courtroom, but uh, knowing how that went uh, in college way before I was even in this position is so beneficial. And um, one thing in particular that helped me was we actually made sales calls. Uh, so we parked okay. pit. We went down to pit they gave us a list of season ticket holders that didn't renew from probably like six years before, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, here, call this list, see if you can renew anybody on just like one game. And so here I'm making sales, like renewal sales calls, and I'm in college. And that's pretty crazy. Work and sell. Yeah, and that's like my actual job, right? Yeah. So, so that experience is something that as now I've hired, I don't even know how many interns, I don't know how many uh, reps, 
um, and no one comes out without experience. I'm like, man, I really had a, I had an advantage by doing that. When I, my first call I made on the job was not my first call that I had actually made. Right. Right. Okay, wow. That's uh I didn't know that the sport management program at Slippery Rock did that kind of stuff, but I'm really impressed actually. Um I was a emerging tech major and like I said, we our classes overlapped a little bit, but um yeah, I I would say I I when I was in minor league baseball, I at least used my degree every day, um whether it was social media skills, marketing skills, Photoshop, um and then I actually learned sales, you know, on the front line once I got into minor league baseball, which was tough. But <laughs> but I wish I would have gotten that training uh, like you did. Yeah, I mean it was funny, and it's it's funny how realistic it was because they couldn't have given us a better list. I'm telling, you, it was like a five year old list, and every person I called was just like Pitt sucks, I'll <laughs> never come back, and I'm like, man, like what is wrong with these people? And then wow. I, quickly realize like no this is just how it is yep this is the job yep yep all right um so we'll we're going to continue this episode with brian deangelis and continue this great conversation right after this break Brian, welcome back. Are there any memories you'd like to share with the listeners about our days together at SRU? Uh, share with the listeners? No, maybe not. But um, <laughs> no, I I joke. But I mean, it, it was it was great. Um, it, it seems like it's forever ago, but um, I remember the the one specific class we had uh, was also with Fred Pinto was in there, who mm-hmm. is now a teacher. Okay. Um, actually, and um, I, I thought it was hilarious. You mentioned professor name; I've already forgot. But um, uh, I remember she was sec- uh, English was her second language, and I remember just standing up there, just sweating it out. Because I, I had never really done any public speaking. We had uh-huh. a project to stand up there. I was sweating it out to this person that English is their second language, and I'm trying to present in English to this person, and I'm just bombing, <laughs> bombing horribly. And now I think about it, like all the times I stand up there and I train people that I've never met and everything. I just actually love that environment now. Right. Um, but just think about how bad I was and probably the least productive member of that group at the time for sure. Um, but it's just funny to, to think about <laughs> uh, all those, all those odd classes that we had to take, obviously, um, you know, that weren't major specific. Right. Just funny to me now looking back. <laughs> um, I was looking at your LinkedIn page and it says that you know Japanese. Is that true? Hi. Hi. So uh, I took. So actually, my my neighbor uh, growing up, uh, her uh, became really good friends with her. Uh, still am now. Actually, lives pretty pretty near here as well. Um, her mom's actually from Okinawa originally. Okay. And, um, she taught uh, Japanese in our high school. Really, so I four, four years of Japanese in high school, and then when I went to Michigan State, uh, continued taking Japanese at a college level. And in 2006, actually took a uh, 10-day trip um, with her and, and some classmates and everything to Japan. Um, so we flew into 
Osaka and basically went up through the, the countryside and hit tons of different spots. Um, ended up in Tokyo, spent about three days in Tokyo and then flew back. Um, so amazing experience for sure. Is lucky to be able to do that. Um, and then, yeah, our, our, our course and college level languages are, are intensive and difficult. Mm-hmm. It was a five credit class. So we, we had it every single okay. day. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I did it and, and had that, um, that background and, and understand even just culturally. Um, cause as you mentioned earlier, a lot of sales identifying with all kinds of people relating to those mm-hmm. people. And so doing those types of things are, are really helpful, um, in a lot of different ways. Even just traveling anywhere really is, is something you can, uh, for, for others that have traveled is, is such a parallel you can, you can draw with those, those guests. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know how good my Japanese is now. I haven't had to use it in probably like eight years. Okay. Um, but it's funny, I was just, I was leaving a house and I've, I've been, you know, everybody's getting their face masks and whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, I like misplaced the last three in a row I had. But <laughs> I found this, um, actually it's like, it's, it's a karate like headband mm-hmm. um, that I actually picked up in Japan. It has some kanji written on it. And, uh, so I, I just threw that on so I look like a deformed ninja as I went out oh, to, goodness. to pick up some milk for the kid. But um, So I still have some of that stuff that we, we picked up in Japan. Okay. I was going to follow up. Um, it sounds like you haven't had to use your Japanese at all in minor league baseball. No, I haven't. Although I, I just missed, um, we, well, there was a little crossover. So we actually had a full-time staff member on the Iron Pigs right before I started. He left before I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went back to Japan actually. Okay. And then we picked up a Japanese intern uh, my first year at the Iron Pigs. Okay. So um, I was able to uh, speak a little bit back and forth and call, you know, Watashi Wa Brian Des and introduce myself and all that stuff. And he was shocked that anyone knew Japanese, but he was so focused. And, and that was my experience when I was in Japan, too. They're so focused on, on being very good at uh, speaking English that that's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to speak English. Only. Right. And didn't care how frustrating it was. He didn't care if he didn't understand what was saying. Like that, that was it. He wanted to immerse himself in the culture. And even when you go there, a lot of their street signs or even, um, you know, words on the buildings and everything are in English. And so much so, there's actually three languages in Japanese. One's katakana, which um, is essentially the language that was developed for foreign words, like hamburger, right? That's not a Japanese word naturally. Okay. They developed a new language. So it's hanbaga is in katakana, how you would say that. And so they have a whole language basically dedicated to being able to, like, absorb other people's culture. So they're, they're very... Yeah, they're very progressive in terms of uh, adopting um, not just English, I mean, all the other countries and and, uh, their words and and their uses. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting culture for sure. I would certainly suggest um, learning Spanish, especially in minor league baseball. If you have the tools to to learn Spanish, um, whether you're dealing with players or... um, working in sales, I, I mean, knowing Spanish can definitely help you in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely more uh, market-based, for sure, right? So mm-hmm. if, if you're in a market that has a high population of Spanish speakers, which actually, believe that Valley does, yeah. um, one of our biggest campaigns um, you know, that we have right now are, are, um, was based around the fact that we have such a Hispanic population. So Allentown is, um, actually the residents there are 80% 
Hispanic, and 90% of those are Puerto Rican specifically. Yeah. Um, so our Coquie campaign pretty much revolves around that. So we're always looking for uh, more Spanish speakers. And if we had somebody that was, um, you know, bilingual, especially in Spanish, mm-hmm. um, and, and was interested in doing sales, I mean, that's an opportunity that for us, it's hard to find, but would be so valuable to us. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, so... Besides more games, what's the biggest difference to you between working in short season baseball and full season? Uh, the biggest difference, um, you know, I'd say it's not necessarily because of the games. I would just say because of the teams that I was at is um, now being with the Iron Pace, you just have so many more resources available to you, right? So mm-hmm. um, in State College or Aberdeen, you know, we kind of had to make with whatever we had. And right. The smaller market teams are in the same boat, regardless of how many games they have. Right. Um, so coming to the Iron Pace was just like, okay, I have all these things I've always wanted to do. I have all these things I, I want to try and, and experiment with, and I just couldn't because of the lack of resources. Well, mm-hmm. now we have them, right? So let's try it. Let's see what happens. Okay. Um, so we were able to do um, some amazing things just by having that backing. Um, you know, it is tough too when you look at like a promotional schedule, um, or even just the way you train reps. You're training to sell 35 games, and all of a sudden it's 70. Yep. Um, so my my half game plans. Um, you're a full season in state college is a, is a half game here. So right. doing a promotional schedule of 70 games is tough. You don't feel in April. Um, the advantage in the Penn League was you didn't start until the second week of June. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. so you have to worry about that cold day um, or staffing appropriately because you know that there's going to be less people in the park on this day or that day. Uh, it was pretty much like, all right, June through September, go. And they're all kind of equal. Right. Um, so that, that was an adjustment, but it certainly didn't take long. I mean, um, having the resources enabled us to have a, a really strong promotional schedule. So just about coming up with how many ideas total are we going to do? How many can we do really well, and how do we execute those? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we addressed this a little bit earlier, but how do you juggle working in minor league baseball and your busy schedule with having a family? Clearly, there's long days and nights, um, and you're you're expected to be at all seventy home games, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So. Um, there's no doubt I couldn't do any of what I'm doing without my wife, mm-hmm. uh, Erica, just holding everything down, um, you know, with the kids and, um, you know, the bills and I don't even know where our, our bank account is. You know, if, if we ever, <laughs> if we ever had a serious issue, uh, I'm not the guy, you know, I'm, I'm away so much in the summer that, um, she really runs it all for us. So, um, that, that's a huge piece for me and obviously the two kids and, and the house and everything mm-hmm. um, she's actually you know she's moved several times uh, for me and, yeah um, luckily she has a job that she's able to do that and be flexible with the hours and things like that so it's definitely difficult um, you know even when I was um, I was actually never uh, single when I worked in, in baseball but before kids and all that um, you know it was still difficult mm-hmm. um, just with, with having time because you know, a lot of times it's like, well, all right, I just worked eight games in a row. Um, I was there from 9 a.m. until midnight, eight days in a row. And yep. so the last thing you want to do is anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, my wife will be like, well, I also didn't see you for, for that period of time, so let's do something. It's like, all right, well, yep. you know, even balancing your own personal time is, is difficult. But 
um, you know, another key to it is just you got to like who you work with and you got to like what you're doing. Right. If you spend that much time there with those people and you don't enjoy that, um, it's going to be even more difficult. So you really got to balance both of those things well. But I've been fortunate enough to, to be able to do that successfully for a while now. Absolutely. And how much of the Iron Pig success do you think is due to the outside of the box marketing ideas. Um, there's a lot of examples. Uh, you guys playing as the cheesesteaks, streaming MIL or MLB the show games on TV and online, uh, the bacon hat, the iron pugs, etc. I mean, yeah, just how much of that success do you think is due to the outside of the box marketing ideas? Yeah, I mean, the Iron Pig success is 100%. Um, you know, due to, to Bacon USA and the, the community here and the fans here and the partners we've had mm-hmm. uh, since day one. And I think that uh, when you have that, that enables you to do those fun things. And um, that's kind of what allowed us to do cheesesteaks and, and pubs and all that stuff. And, you know, if we didn't have the viewers, uh, you know, 50,000 people watched on Facebook the stream that we did this past wow. week. Wow, that's incredible. Um, if we didn't have those people watching, we wouldn't do it. Right, Same right. Even have people buying the bacon hat, we wouldn't do it. So it's really been the support of, of all of our fans and, and guests at the ballpark for the past 13 years. But um, yeah, I mean that's that's what now um, as great as that is. That's also now what everyone comes to expect. So mm-hmm. um, every time you you talk to somebody in the off season, right, full season ticket holder all the way down, whatever, um, it's like, oh, what's new this year, right? It's like for most teams to ask that question is crazy. Yeah, like, what do you mean what's new? Like we just did. This thing wasn't that enough, right? But it's like, no, you know, here in Lehigh Valley, it's like, well, what's new this year? Oh, we're doing this. Oh, yeah, what else? Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's always coming up with that more and more and more. And uh, I think it's great, though, because that's what, you know, propels us to, to continue to, to lead the industry and a lot of those things we're doing. And, um, you know, the cheesesteaks thing was, was really one of the first times that adaptation of, um, you know, your affiliate and uh, what's popular regionally for you and turning it into like the food craze. Now all yeah. of a sudden you see, you know, teams being named after foods and not just changing it for a day, but changing it for a week or a, a week series and um, full team names. And, and now, you know, everybody's streaming games, obviously the MLB streaming games on, on Twitch and, um, you know, the Iron Pugs. I just saw somebody do uh, a, a dog-related, typo-related, uh, you know, theme night which is exactly what we do with the Iron Pugs um, next year. So, yeah. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, for us is, okay, we can build on those things, but um, it's almost like, all right, we, we did that, now let's leave the concept, know when it's done, and come up with something totally different. And that doesn't go, you know, without us missing on a few, too. Like, we've had some ones that we were really excited about or we thought would work and just didn't as well. But um, That so happens, yeah. It, yeah, don't let it discourage you and, and keep pushing Right, and um, is that true that the Iron Pugs was all from a typo, like in an email? Come on, Bob, you worked in, in baseball. Do you think we had, we made a typo and we had the hats there the next day? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I know that, yeah. but like, is is that where the idea came from? No, I'm not sorry, but yeah, so uh, this, this is actually it was a, uh, a marketing service rep who actually works for the New York Yankees now. Um, just came in, and it was actually derived around... Um, the spelling bee uh, on ESPN was was upcoming at the time this was pitched, and it was kind of be, it was like uh, how do we incorporate it into the spelling bee where we misspelled the name and, 
it could have been auto-corrected, and, and we're talking about like, how, like what angle do we take? Is it like a stony thing? Is it just like dogs? Is whatever? And so it kind of came together as like this typo, auto-correct, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, became like the the nice transition for us to be able to say like, oh, this is what happened. Here's the backstory. Here's why we have it. Um, and so that was the first actually uh, cap we were able to do in the liquid chrome format as well. So okay. uh, it gave us a totally different look to a promotion along with being a new concept to us. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, we, we stuck with the typo one. We actually tried to do, we tried to release it in a few different ways that fell through. Um, so that wasn't actually, that wasn't what we originally planned to go with, but uh, that was our, our convenient fallback before that really Okay. All right, I see. I see what you're saying there. I like it nonetheless. I also really love the cheesesteaks because I am a cheesesteak connoisseur. Everywhere I go, I have to try the cheesesteak. Well, who has the best? Mm, yeah, um, there's a place in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where I'm from, um, that I believe has the best cheesesteaks. The bread is so it's a pizza place. And the bread is made from this from the same like it's it's made from the pizza crust, if you will, and like it it's so crunchy but soft. Um, and then they do all the toppings the best, I think. Um, what's your favorite? Well, uh, you're gonna have some some very angry listeners that you didn't shoot someone in Philly. I can tell you that. I know mm-hmm. that in our office. Um, I think the number one place would probably be D'Alessandro's that people would. Uh, you know, I've heard that actually, and I've been there once, and and I will agree, it's it's up there. Well, here's what I'll say. Here's the only answer I'll give because I don't want people, you know, storming my house on my cheesesteak opinion. But um, if you go do the touristy thing, which mm-hmm. is what most people would do, right from here, um, and you go down and you do Pat's and Gino's, and you pick between the two. Yep. Um, my whole family chooses Pats. Okay. And I actually, I actually want to choose Pats. I want to be a Pats fan, but I actually go to Geno's when we go down there. Okay. Do you do you miss anything from? You're from the Pittsburgh area. Do you miss um, anything from? Because people people say, "Oh, Pennsylvania is Pennsylvania." People who don't aren't from there, but like, there's a big difference between Pittsburgh. And Philly, the west side of the state and the east side of the state. Huge difference. Um, there's definitely things I miss, definitely things I don't. Um, as strange as it sounds, the weather is so much better here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really bizarre, uh, I guess, because of like, the mountains and valleys, whatever out there is, makes it just more gloomy all the time. But, um, you know, the, the food there uh, back in, in Pittsburgh is just better. Um, there's just a huge... Uh, Italian population there, mm-hmm. and so all the Italian restaurants are are so much better. And obviously, I'm I'm partial to Italian, <laughs> right? Places, but um, you know, it, it, when I came out here and in other places I've lived in, in Maryland, the State College, all these places, uh, it, it doesn't compare at all. Um, the Maryland had phenomenal food. My wife would move back there in a second. She's mm-hmm. a huge seafood fanatic, but um, yeah, you just can't really beat the Italian food there. I'm sure people are, would argue for. Some of the spots in Philly and, and obviously in New York City, but um, there's some real under the radar places in, in Pittsburgh that are very good. Absolutely, and um, to touch on the seafood thing a little bit, I I live here in Delaware. I'm pretty much on the Delaware Maryland border, 
Um, so the team that I work for was in Maryland. I live in Delaware, and people are like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna go crabbing, or we're you know, whatever." And I just don't I just don't really like seafood, and everybody hates me for it down here, including my fiance. So. Yeah, I learned quickly that I'm not huge on seafood. I'm not, I'm not going to say I don't like it. I'm not huge on it. But uh, I knew enough not to say that to anyone. So yeah. <laughs> one of our most popular promotions in Aberdeen was uh, we had a, a picnic area in Redfield that for $43 at the time, uh, it was all you can eat, crab, uh, burgers, dogs, fountain drinks, everything. Wow. Um, they would go out every morning and they would crab and they'd bring it back live to the stadium. Yeah. Uh, they'd, they'd zap them right out in right field by the grounds area. They had a mm. truck out there, uh, steam them and bring them straight up. And uh, so we'd crab paper the tables and, um, you know, just lay them out there and people would go to town with the mallets. And um, it was amazing. Like to have that in a ballpark is just something that, like, I can't imagine occurs too many places, but it was so good. Oh, yeah. We did it in here in Delmarva. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where can the listeners find you on social media, Brian? Oh uh, yeah, I mean I'm I'm on everything. Uh, you know, Twitter I'm at Angelo D'Angelo. Uh, Instagram I'm at Brian twenty three. Um, I got TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, you name it. But uh, for the most part, easiest way is, is probably LinkedIn. Um, just hop on there and you'll find me pretty easily on the IRP site. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, don't know if you've listened to any other episodes, but we end every episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast with the guest's favorite walk-up or warm-up song you've heard in your baseball career, and whose who's was it? Yeah, so I don't know if I'm going to answer this correctly, um, but I'll, I have two answers prepared in case you don't accept my first one. All right. Um, Almost every team I've worked for at different times has had a staff softball game. Mm-hmm. And so that means I got my own walk-up song. Oh. So I was going to choose my own walk-up song, which was black and yellow, because for the most part everywhere I lived, hated Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I loved making them hate Pittsburgh even more. Right. So anyway, I could, because at the time, uh, you know, being down in Maryland, Ravens territory, hated Pittsburgh. Being out here, the whole Philly versus Pittsburgh thing, hated them. Um, so anyway, I, I chose black and yellow, um, would always be my walkout song every time. Okay. Um, but if that wasn't acceptable. I was going to go with Dean Anna, uh, who played for us, I think two years ago and his, his walkout song was nonstop by Drake. And, um, it just always, I don't know, it was, a, it was just a fitting song, I guess. It's something that I probably would have chose if I wasn't trying to enrage my, my coworkers. <laughs> right. But that would probably have been a good choice. Yeah. And Okay. So may I don't know maybe when I'm editing I'll I'll mash the two songs together or you know so, something like that we'll we'll see when I when I sit down to edit but uh, yeah I just want to thank you so much Brian for for taking the time out of your day to come on to the Pulling Tart podcast and if you can share with your friends coworkers all of that I know you're in touch with a lot of people in the industry so. Um, so yeah, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, appreciate you having me, and uh, great to catch up after all these years too. And uh, being in the industry in the same school is, is crazy. So uh, 
had a lot of fun talking to you, and I look forward to following along as you get more and more guests on here for sure. Thank you so much, Brian, and uh, I'm looking to come up to Lehigh Valley at some point when the season starts. Yeah, let me know. All right, I certainly yeah. will. Thank you so much, Brian. You know what it is. This a rolling, not a stop. Watch, don't ever stop. This the flow that got the block hot and super. You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.